Hi, I'm Adam Miller. And I'm Sarah Sweet. And welcome to Food on the Radio. Hello, Adam. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? I'm doing well. Welcome back from all of your traveling. Well, thank you. It's it's almost all been just to Seattle. I must say it's interesting when you get, uh, you know, Airbnb or VRBO or that sort of thing when you travel. You can always tell which person who's renting you a place cooks. Right. <laughs> based on the amount of equipment and based on the idea that they think while you're here, you're going to cook. <laughs> um, and I never do. <laughs> I know some Airbnbs are like you peek in the cupboard because when we go to an Airbnb, we're definitely at least one or two of those nights, if not the whole time, we're going to cook every meal. And you peek in the cupboard, and if there's no salt or pepper or right. oil of any kind, then you know your host is not a cooking is, person. Well, or they just don't want you to be. <laughs> right. Well, or if you've ever had a rental property or a place that you have friends stay or something like that, if you are somebody who cooks, eventually it becomes a place where you deposit all of the things in your kitchen that you no longer want to use that you go, Oh, I'll just put it in that space. <laughs> well, for those of us who have a second kitchen, perhaps <laughs> I wouldn't know, but um, I do keep a bottle of hot sauce on my desk at work. So, <laughs> well, I know a lot of people who always travel with hot sauce. It's in the console of my car at this moment. Right. Not the same bottle, but in a, there's, there's a bottle of hot sauce in in every area I go to. <laughs> yeah, you can almost get away with eating anything if you've got some hot sauce. Speaking of hot sauce, have you been paying attention to the news and seen the horror that is the sriracha shortage? No, I haven't. We're we're in Sarah's living room, by the way. We have a lot of things we want to talk about. And one of the things that we came up was the shortage of sriracha which is a hot sauce, obviously, for those of you who are saying, what are they talking about? But is there really anyone who doesn't know what sriracha is? There, I mean, there's got to be at least a couple of people. Sure. Um, so they're not sad about this shortage. According to the producer of the real and true sriracha hot sauce, which is made by Hoi Fong Foods, right, um, said that last summer's drought in Mexico continues to hamper its ability to churn out the iconic green-capped bottles of its popular spicy condiment. We didn't know this was happening until our bottle ran out, and then, you know, it's on the grocery list. Oh, we got to grab it. It's not here. It's not there. We're like, where? why is there no sriracha at any store? So then we did finally Google it. This happened once before a couple years ago, and it sent people into a panic. Um, us, I'm including myself in that group. But um, we were able to get some from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> which is I feel weird about, but now we have three bottles of sriracha just in case. This reminds me of when there was the bucatini shortage. <gasps> the horrors. <laughs> which, yeah, that was that that was probably the, the pinnacle of my COVID suffering was the uh, <laughs> lack of bucatini. Um, that's the pasta with a hole in the middle, like a straw, Whole, right? Yeah, it's like a straw sort of. Yeah. Well, just so everyone knows, it's just a fun fact that Hoi Fong Foods typically uses about. 50,000 tons of chilies a year producing its um, three main condiments, which includes sriracha, um, a chili garlic sauce, and another sauce called sambal ulek, which you've seen these, everybody's seen these. They all have green caps, I think. Yep, yep. Um, But that's a lot of peppers, and I guess when you have a drought and your peppers don't grow, people are going to have to use, I don't know what else, franks? (laughs) 
<laughs> nothing wrong with some Franks, that's I for mean, sure. I mean, I did just eat a salad with Franks on it. <laughs> right. So what else did I want to talk about? We have a lot of things. We both have some books that we've been looking at. Um, I, I do want to talk about when we speak about sauces, <laughs> um, that one of the really funny sauces, so you know, is this opposed to like the sad sauces? <laughs> the sad sauces, but I guess it's not really a sauce. I think I had people coming over or something and I said, oh, let me get some dips or something. Oh, dips. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, okay, I'll get some hummus, you know, and my favorite flavor is like, I like artichoke. Is that hummus one's... flavored? <laughs> right. Well, you know, so, you know, they have these different flavors. And I like I... the extra lemony one. Well, then I saw something I'd never seen before. It must have just started and I was taken aback. It's it. I got to tell you, it's been around, right? Because I talked to you about this <laughs> chocolate hummus. So disgusting. It sounded disgusting to me when I heard this. Mm-hmm. I also thought about how kind of contradictory or uh, the clash of cultures that be that would that makes <laughs> it is a waste of energy of bringing things together. When you think about the fact that hummus probably dates back to thousands of years from the Middle East, it's, it's ground chickpeas and various other things. Mm-hmm. Then you travel like 12,000 miles in another direction <laughs> and uh, originally used, came from Central America and Mexico primarily and is known by a lot of people as like New World, which is chocolate. So these things that should never have sort of in the in a sort of global pre-airplane age or pre-boat age i guess because um that they they're not supposed to go together well i mean lots of things that aren't supposed to go together are pretty great are are together all the time well peanut butter and jelly now this is on a completely different subject peanut butter and jelly is like made for each other yes but here's a fascinating well okay i found it a very amusing story as many people know for a while i worked for a a large uh, to be unnamed circus company. Why can't you um, say the circus company? <laughs> yeah. So I worked with this company called Cirque du Soleil for a while. Okay, and we had a, we had on our shows almost always there were people from anywhere from fifteen to twenty different countries. Oh, I know this story. And we were sitting there, and one day I made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Mm. And there were two Ukrainian. There were Ukrainian twins that were on a trapeze act. Uh, of and, course, and of course, and they were young. They were maybe in their early twenties. And they said, what are you eating? And I said, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, <laughs> well, you put, pe- it's it's a, grow- we've grown up all our lives. And I think I was sitting with some Canadians. And they <laughs> said, that sounds really gross. Why would anyone put peanut butter and jelly together? And they had never heard of it. And they didn't understand why it was something you would do. Did they try it? And they tried it and they loved it. Okay. Well, what if we love the chocolate hummus? <laughs> so that is a long way, of, roundabout way of getting to the fact that I wanted to wait to try this. I remember, I think I texted you, what is this chocolate hummus yes. thing? Um, and I said, I am going to try it. I don't understand if it's chocolate hummus, Does it? Is it now a dessert? Is right. It, like, is, would you dip fruit in that or celery? Do you, do you what, did, what do we have here? We have pita. And I'm thinking, I okay, mean, let's... Let's start with pita bread, right? There are no rules. There are no rules because it's chocolate hummus, which means a lot of rules are already broken. <laughs> um, so we have here a small plate of with some pieces of pita. But yes, maybe later we're going to say, I think I'll put this on ice cream. No. No. no right? I mean, people, I did just see somebody making a like salted caramel ice cream with pickles on top of it the other day, a Sunday. Well, you know, the sweet and sour, whatever. So you know. who knows what so we'd want. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, listener, 
listeners, we are now going to taste chocolate. Have you tasted it before? I haven't because I told you that there's, (laughs) this is stupid, but there's a person I'm friends with on social media who for the last six years has been railing against the horror of the existence of chocolate hummus. That's the only, that's why I know of, that it was a thing that because it's a, it's of this, criminal to this person, person I follow on social media. But I've never tried it. I okay. mean, it, the consistency. It doesn't really look like hummus to me. It, no, it looks, it looks just like, like chocolate sauce. Chocolate pudding that has grit in it. Right. Okay, here we go. Oh, it, mm, oh it's okay. like. <laughs> I would say that's horrible. It's like jello pudding <laughs> that you're eating with bread. It's disgusting. Uh, but. It, uh, <laughs> To be fair, as someone who sometimes like prohibits myself from eating desserts or chocolate or whatever, yeah. if I was in one of those really like, oh, I just want something sweet, I'm needing dessert, I could eat a spoonful of that and be like, okay. Oh, it, I, I would find it completely unsatisfying. Well, it's, but I'm saying after like right. a week of not allowing yourself to have anything sweet, this could, if it was, it the, tastes like pudding. It tastes like pudding. Okay. So if this was the only chocolate I'm having another thing bite. in your house. And you had no other choice for chocolate than this. I don't even know if I would have it, <laughs> to be honest. I think I would. I think I would have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich I think instead. if you put a little bit of whipped cream on that, it's like a pudding. It I has would... nothing to do... I mean, we're eating it with bread, which I feel super <laughs> no, yucky about. I, I think it's just a bad chocolate It's substance. a bad idea. Yeah. I think it's a bad idea because... I'm going to try it with just my finger. You're describing, even though it's not chocolate, it would be like... What it's similar in consistency to like Nutella, but only Nutella's way tastier. Without the bread, it's a little better. Well, if I, I could, I'm, if I'm, I could convince you to just stick your finger in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, the answer for me is still no. It's kind of making my lips tingle a little bit. I will never buy this again. Um, I won't give a brand. It's not their fault that there are people that will eat chocolate hummus. I still don't understand what I would eat it with. I I wouldn't want it with a strawberry, actually. I wouldn't want to put it on ice cream. No, Um, you can't put it on ice cream. It's like almost the same consistency. It tastes like whipped tofu with chocolate. It tastes like somebody made a bad vegan chocolate ice cream Yeah, and then let it melt. I think someone at all of these different hummus companies, because they all do it now, yeah. I think originally someone must have lost a bet and then everybody else piled on and said, we got to make this too. <laughs> I, maybe someone just spilled some chocolate into the, into a, a the hummus a maker, vat, the, hum, the hummus vat. <laughs> now I just want some real delicious hummus. Yeah, I, well, this makes me either want good hummus or, or a, good a hot chocolate. Sundae. <laughs> <laughs> right. But not this. <laughs> it only reminds us how good both of these things can be when they're on their own. On their own. <laughs> Let's give that. Um, an overwhelming four thumbs down. Right. That's a, you know, we haven't had gross, not gross. Uh, it used to be a segment of it our did. show. I think this, and this is going to be maybe the first time we've ever agreed. Gross. Gross. <laughs> okay. Cause I yeah. still, I still, I love hot dog stew no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the hot dog stew is, is either famous or infamous depending on how you look at it. Everything as you can see. That's what you get for loving me. That's what you get for loving me. The one thing I'll say about this trip 
because we always have a segment, or almost always, about what did you make last week. I haven't made anything over the last two weeks of any consequence, partly because of traveling and other reasons. But I must say, <laughs> on on Jet on the JetBlue flight... little plug for JetBlue. Now, I never booked this in advance, but I was really tired, and I actually purchased at gate you can you know can always say at the gate did you upgrade to mint i did upgrade to mint you. i'm embarrassed to say this oh uh, my in, god in, in a public forum um but it it included mm-hmm. i know what it includes food yep and they had a pharaoh salad for $1,400. <laughs> it wasn't that much, but, you know, it was still ridiculous when you think about it. Basically, what I paid for was the ability to lie down uncomfortably and eat a pharaoh In your pharaoh's Right. <laughs> In my pod. But I must say, it tasted like a homemade, really good pharaoh salad. Oh, well, you know, for mint, they do make all the food in people's homes. <laughs> It's in Seattle. There's all these vegan families and, and people. Oh no, it's the pilot's family that makes the, the pilot. Food that, so this was just made by the pilot that night. <laughs> I Bro- have brought in a Tupperware container <laughs> to serve. I have to tell you a funny story now, because it's related to this. And as you know, I used to work at the airport, and I had one time a like a whole plane full of non-mint people who were ready to get the pitchforks and the torches because their flight was delayed to fly all the way across the country to California or something for three hours or even more than that, almost the entire time it would have taken, right? It was probably like four and a half hours because they had to wait for the special food for the mint people (laughs) was somehow delayed. And I, it just as like, a restaurant operations person. I was just like... Horrified. Give these people a different sandwich and <laughs> let the whole plane go. So they had like, you know, probably 12 people waiting for the Pharaoh salad or whatever. <laughs> it was it was about... It was tiny, too. It was it was just this little thing. But I just thought, well, this is actually tasty. Um, well, but- you know, you know, they go, they, they go through a lot to get it there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Hear the mighty engines roar. See the silver bird on high She's away in westward bound Far above the clouds she'll fly So, that leads me to ask, you must have made something last week. Oh, all we've been doing is making things. Aside, we have been making a lot of homemade dog food for our poor sick pup. Everybody out there, say a little prayer for Pretzel. He's very old and is currently in a rapid decline so we have been cooking tons of homemade dog food including carrots poached in butter and (laughs) turkey and chicken but aside from homemade dog food for our poor old friend we what did i make last night well i'm going to interrupt you did you try the carrots poached in butter yourself delicious i know that's why i'm stopping you that actually (laughs) i've never thought of doing i don't poach things in butter because i I mean it wasn't like all butter there was like a little water in there too but but, um i know people do that with like lobster and some things like that i poached his chicken in butter also and i bet that was good too (laughs) i didn't try that but it looked good steph has been making a lot of the food (laughs) since i went back to work full-time so he made like a week's worth of incredible adventurous vegan Asian foods that I won't try to tell you about beyond that. But what I made was this crazy broccoli Caesar salad from a new cookbook that my friend has lent me. It's called The First Mess Cookbook. And it is by Laura Wright, W-R-I, 
GHT. And it's a plant-based cookbook. <laughs> What's funny about this is that I made this. So it's um, broccoli that you just kind of boil for a little bit and then like shock it, blanch it. So um, it's blanched. Yeah. yeah. You are blanched. You are. <laughs> So, and then you, you kind of toast up a little bit of tempeh and sprinkle that in and you make this really creamy Caesar-esque dressing out of cashews and garlic, lots of garlic and um, lemon juice. And I have just got my hands on this cookbook. You can hear me flipping through the pages. Note to self when you're recording a radio show, open the book that you, to the recipe you're trying to find before you start talking about it. So it's called a broccoli Caesar with smoky tempeh bits, Right. And this looked like this, you can see this picture. We'll share the picture, but it's like this really big. It looks like a like a main dish almost, mm-hmm. but it really is just a salad. And I made this <laughs> for dinner, and it was like so unsatisfying. So you felt underfed. Oh, I ate a I ate a bowl of cereal almost directly after finishing this, and it was kind of a, it's not it's not a lot of work, but you have to have the really powerful blender. I would say my adjustments to this recipe. And we like to say this all the time, that recipes are really, not including baking, but like cooking recipes are really like guidelines, right? This recipe, I think, would be much better if you charred this broccoli Mm -hmm. because it was still kind of like too robust to like cut or crunch with your own teeth. I would keep the tempeh in more sizable bites and use more of it so that it could be more of a meal. I really should have made something else in addition to this. Tonight, I'm going to try another recipe out of here um, that is a jalapeno corn chowder. And I'll report back on this. Well, I was I was looking through the cookbook earlier and it has some great little recipes. What's nice about it is a lot of the recipes do seem heartier than what you're describing. <laughs> um, and they do seem like they're sort of meal-ish recipes, including that chowder, which I saw. Which oh, good. Really I'm glad good. you saw it. I did see it. And that sounded like it would be filling and satisfying as an actual meal. Yeah, they have this other, this recipe that caught my eye. It's a roasted chili basil lime tofu bowl. So basically it's like a rice base and you marinate tofu. You know, it's like stuff we eat all the time. And I think I had seen that and was like, oh, that looks like a good bowl of stuff. And I think really I just mixed these two up and I made this thinking it was more of a substantive meal and it's um, really just a salad. (laughs) But but it's interesting what you said about bowl because looking at that, you could take that broccoli recipe and you could put it on a bowl of rice it does it needs to go on something else it needs additional components or it needs to just exist as a salad in its happy little life and you need and you need to make more food for dinner (laughs) so and once again that book is it's called the first mess cookbook by laura wright and it is a plant-based cookbook and i'll be working my way through this you know i'll let you know when i get to the fennel and cherry tomato gratin well let's stick with books and it's sort of a half a cookbook when i was in seattle there's a great bookstore if anyone ever goes there called the elliott bay bookstore oh yeah it's a wonderful bookstore it's one of my favorite bookstores and they have a fantastic cafe Mm -hmm. in the bookstore as well and it's really good and it's actually now being run by the odd fellows restaurant which is next door but they're running a cafe there as well wait like the odd fellows odd fellows you mean the restaurant in seattle no, I mean like the religious sect. No, I don't. I think it was because the building was once owned by the Odd Fellows religious sect, but now it's a restaurant. <laughs> I don't think there's any connection. There's it used to have connection. a theater in it. It's a very good restaurant. I, I highly recommend it, especially for lunch. Um, so anyway, I love a bookstore that has a lot of owner recommendations. And they also have something which I love, which is when bookstores separate both travel essay and cooking essay. Uh-huh. As opposed to cooking 
books. Right, right. <laughs> As opposed to books that are cookbooks is where the people are actually writing about about cooking. And I and I was I knew I was going to be on a flight and I knew I wanted something sort of fun to read. And the book is called The Sweet Life in Paris by David Leibowitz. Oh, I love and, that yeah, book. I have that book. It's a great book. And, and it's not new. It was I think it was written in 2006 or something. Or like even, even longer. Yeah. It's not new, but I do recommend it. I checked it's at the library. You can also get oh, it yeah. there. I have I um, had this book at one point. I might have lent it to someone. Um, I mean, the one thing about it that I, that I I do I do love it. It a lot of things are very traditional now. Um, that we've had them a lot and, and I could it was actually funny because when I was reading the book I, he was describing a, a warm goat cheese salad and I really I immediately thought this must be from the late 90s this <laughs> because I'm like that is not a new recipe and I realized it was at a certain point because he worked at Chez Panisse for about 13 years and I think that's a Chez Panisse creation possibly or one of the places where it was sort of you know reintroduced it, it's a French thing but it was reintroduced mm-hmm. I think by Chez Panisse, who's it's a very famous restaurant in California. Uh, Alice Waters is, you know, one a seminal uh, uh, chef. Anyway, the reason I want to recommend it is in the back of the book is an index because he this book in particular is essays on his life in Paris, right? And it includes both purveyors and places to eat in Paris that he experienced while he was there. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's it's. Old, so it's actually 2009. 2009. That's my recommendation. Um, and all of his books are, are a lot of fun. And uh, again, it's The Sweet Life in Paris by David Leibovitz. You're listening to Food on the Radio on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. The Voice, The Spirit of Cape Cod. You can also find us at WOMR.org. Another thing I wanted to talk about was, I think about a month ago, I was saying how I liked historical menus. You know how sometimes you don't understand how Google or Facebook knows that you we're looking at like a pair of brown shoes the day before. What? <laughs> you know how you're sort of going, why Why am I getting an ad for this? <laughs> well, it was very funny because just like a week after I had mentioned that I love historic recipes, showing up constantly on my Facebook feed Ew. was, was um, historic menus. <laughs> And, and we're then, doomed, right? And right, and I was that was a little spooky. Rise of the robots. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was definitely that sort of that feeling that the robot apocalypses has come. And <laughs> but what was interesting was I clicked on one of them, and it and it get, got me to the source. That means you don't have to rely on some Facebook or Instagram page to get really cool stuff because all of this, it turns out, was stemming from or being fed from the New York Public Library. Oh. Which has this huge digital collection. The main one being something called the Butolf or Butolf. (laughs) It can't be that. (laughs) It can't be that. Collection, which is B-U-T-T-O-L-P-H. Uh, collection. It is now a completely scanned collection of historical menus and other documents. Uh, not just like restaurant menus, a lot of uh, ocean liner and train menus. Oh, neat. Um, and what's when, you know, we are so used to the idea that now I can get, you know, say, hominy grits 
and oh, I, I can't think of oh, like tortillas or something like that, all in the same city. Right. But there was a time where different things were made in different parts of the country. Right. Um, and so, but along with that, it goes all the way back to colonial times. Oh. Uh, and, and some of colonial the... Colonial menus. Oh, and some of the colonial menus are really disgusting. You sort of go, how, why, you know, like take a rabbit and stuff it full of tripe. Full know? of chocolate hummus. <laughs> and, and chocolate hummus. <laughs> and it, like, it's really bizarre, some of the things. But then they had really cool things. Like, for instance, they had the menu for the Cotton Club. Ooh, cool. Um, you're like the Carrie Bradshaw of cooking show <laughs> recipes. You know, um, she loved the New York Public Library, of course. Oh, the, oh, I I didn't know that. I'm not I'm not a Carrie Bradshaw person. Um, but I just wanted to. I'm, I'm not going to read any of all these menus out. It is interesting how many different ways people made meat. <laughs> you know, there's there's. It's amazing how often mutton is described. Ooh. Um, and then of course things like tongue liverwurst. Um, you know, uh, organ meats. There was every possible way that all of these things oh, I were feel made, faint. and and every possible way of making a steak. But one of the fascinating things about the Cotton Club menu mm-hmm. was how New Yorky it was in one way, and because along with having like a steak sandwich and lobster creole with rice, is it had a whole list of what they called Chinese specialties. Oh, um, but it was all—it's a huge menu. There's such an <laughs> incredible variety of stuff you know, there's like eight different salads there there are on this cotton club menu five different types of rarebits and they are welsh rarebit something called golden buck long island rarebit yorkshire buck and scotch woodcock they're all they range in price from a dollar 25 to a dollar 60 okay i have some questions because i feel like welsh rarebit was something that Bugs Bunny talked about. Or like that someone was going to make Welsh rarebit out of him. Okay. And I have my whole life always... Because it's also called Welsh rabbit. Right. But that those are that's a different thing. No, so, yes. Welsh rarebit or yes. Welsh rabbit. Right. It's But I always thought the same thing that from that cartoon. It has nothing to do with rabbit. Like there's no rabbit in this there's dish. There's no rabbit in a rarebit. So it's... <laughs> or in Welsh rabbit. It's called Welsh rabbit. Right. So what is it? So it's a it's a dish consisting of a hot cheese-based sauce right. served over slices of toasted bread. Right. So sort of like chipped chip beef on toast, right. as some people know. And what makes it a golden buck version is when you put a poached egg on top of it. Ah. Then it becomes a golden buck, which would also make you think of another type of meat, namely deer, <laughs> but there's no meat in this. But it's interesting because it's New York and it was, you know, the Cotton Club was this very famous jazz entertainment nightclub in which it was segregated. It was black entertainers performing for white customers. But it's interesting because, and it's in Harlem, is they, is they, like I was saying, they also had like Chinese specialties, which was, of course, this is in the 30s, chicken chow mein, chicken chop suey, right. uh, beef chop suey, mugu gai pan, and fried rice and things, uh, Chinese hot pork. but and, and then chicken with okra, you know, but it's a huge menu with live lobster and oysters and minced filet beef creole with rice. And so anyway, 
that's the only menu I'm going to talk about because that was just a lot of fun to read. <laughs> that's the other awesome. ones, the 18th century American ones, are just yeah. There's a lot of really gross things, but it's fun to read. <laughs> so check out the New York Public Library, the Butolf Collection. It's really cool. I highly recommend. It. It's a lot of fun. It's something that the internet can be really useful for. I just want to finish off by letting everyone know that if you blend Welsh rarebit with tomato soup or a tomato, it then becomes a blushing bunny. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a really cute name for something that sounds like it tastes absolutely awful. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Adam, what are you saying? Basically, what I am taking this, I'm understanding this as like melted cheese and bread. And that's like the classic grilled cheese and tomato soup you've just <laughs> blended true. it up together that's, to be a blushing bunny yeah that that is true i mean you can't go wrong with cheese and bread that is true but you i don't know very many restaurants that even serve chip beef on toast anymore well that's for you know that's for the liver and onion set right <laughs> yeah uh, yeah another thing that used to be in restaurants all the time it's still I, across the street at the arms i like liver and onions just oh. just for those people but um, unfortunately uh, there's no reason to cook it since um, nobody but me is going to eat it. You know, speaking of liver and onions, when I worked as a line cook at Friendly's at the Rotary in Orleans in the 80s, that was one of our most popular dishes besides the clam boat was liver and onions. I can't even, I think I've talked about this before, but no, I will, the liver was frozen and it looked just like a Dr. Scholl's shoe insert <laughs> and it was about that thin and you put them put it down on the griddle and it would just like almost liquefy and well oh, i'm uh, you know i'm an old jewish guy and, and i have to say i in the words in the words of mr t i pity the fool <laughs> who doesn't have in their lives the pleasure of liverwurst and chopped chicken liver and liver and onions and sliced tongue. <laughs> okay, Forrest Gump. Well, I don't pity any fool that doesn't have to make it at Friendly's. Fair enough. Well, that was a lot of fun, but it looks like we are once again out of time on Food on the Radio. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Adam. Because eating is 